0: Hello and welcome to episode 71 of Onion Unlimited, the podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Torridon. And today I'm going to be discussing something in the Old Testament that always seemed off to me when I was a Jehovah's Witness. As a witness, I would read my Bible along with the Watchtower publications, giving the official explanation of how things are. But sometimes things just didn't seem to add up. Of course, I learned to suppress my inner voice and trust the Governing Body, but those nagging doubts were always there in the back of my mind, and now I know why. Things were off. It's only after I did my own research into the Bible, unencumbered by Watchtower Publications, that I was able to see how poor the explanations were and how they lacked any real substance. So today I'm going to be talking about Elohim. As I do, ask yourself if you've ever questioned the things I'm discussing. If you have, it probably means something isn't right, either with the biblical narrative itself or with the explanation Watchtower gave you. If that's the feeling you get, I suggest you trust your instincts and do some additional research, as did I. So turning to Genesis chapter 1. Aside from the presupposition that God already exists in Genesis 1 verse 1, it starts out pretty straightforward. A singular entity, Elohim, translated God, creates the heavens and the earth. Then he gets earth ready for human habitation. But that's when it gets a bit weird. At only 26 verses in, we read, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Who is God speaking to? Who is this us that suddenly appears out of nowhere? Of course, Jehovah's Witnesses don't believe in the Trinity, so whoever God was speaking to can't have been a person within the Godhead, as Trinitarians suggest. But they fail to fall back on the simplest explanation, namely that Elohim, in Genesis 1-1, can be translated gods, plural. Yes, that it was a council of gods, not a single Elohim that made man in their image. According to Jehovah's Witnesses, God was speaking to Jesus in his pre human existence as the Logos or Word, basing their assumption on their New World translation of John 1 verse 1 that suggests Jesus was a God. But this is a huge leap. At the time Genesis 1 verse 26 was written, there was no notion of Jesus, let alone a pre-human version of him. So what would the Israelites, a supposedly strictly monotheistic people with no room for a second God, with a small g, what would they have thought when they read this verse? It would seem the original story that Genesis chapter 1 was based on did indeed speak of gods plural not god singular doing the creating elohim is a word like sheep it can refer to one or many genesis chapter 2 is clearly a later retelling of the story appending a singular yahweh onto the plural elohim to give us one god jehovah god The first occurrence of Yahweh in chapter 2 verse 4 always jarred with me and now I know why. Modern scholars have deduced that the divine name was shoehorned into the creation account by the post-exile redactors around 500 to 400 BCE to give the impression that the Jews had always believed in one Elohim, one Yahweh one and the same God. Except they hadn't. As I explained in a recent podcast entitled Who is Yahweh? At earlier times in their history, the Israelites worshipped two distinct gods, El and Yahweh of the Canaanite pantheon. And at earlier times still, they may have revered many gods, the Elohim or sons of the chief god el It was only after the Babylonian exile in Persian times that the narrative was cleaned up and monotheism became the new official line. Maybe the us refers to the sons of God who appear regularly in the Old Testament from Genesis 6 onwards, a Hebrew idiom for angels or godlike ones. In scripture we often come across occurrences of the word Elohim which are obviously plural and clearly refer to God's not God. We also read of benign Elohim, sons of God. Maybe the Elohim and the benign Elohim are one and the same. Job 38 verse 7 seems to concur with this idea. It tells us that these angelic sons of God also called morning stars, were on the scene when God created the earth. So maybe they are the us referred to in Genesis 1 verse 26. Interestingly though, there is no mention anywhere in the Old Testament of angels being created. They just appear in the Bible narrative out of nowhere. That always struck me as strange It's almost as if the writer of Genesis 6 was referencing an already commonly held belief and thus didn't feel the need to go into too much detail. Indeed the non-canonical book of Enoch sheds much more light on heavenly proceedings than any other book of the accepted Bible canon apart from Job does. We have scraps of Enoch dating from around 300 BCE, suggesting that the book, or at least the stories contained within, may have been familiar much earlier, possibly even around the time that the final edit of Genesis was made by the Jewish redactors. Fragments of Enoch even appear in the Dead Sea Scrolls, along with Bible manuscripts indicating it was known by Jews and early Christians. So, why is the Book of Enoch not included in the Bible canon? The Book of Enoch tells of the Watchers, a term that does appear in the Bible, but only in Daniel chapter 4. In that account, it's apparent the Watchers are synonymous with angels or godlike ones, but little more is explained. That always struck me as odd. The term Watchers in isolation seems so out of place, like it's been lifted from another piece of literature and dropped into Daniel. And it has, I'm certain. Meanwhile, the Book of Enoch goes into much greater detail. It feels like Enoch should have been included in the Bible canon but wasn't for some nefarious reason. We're told the Watchers were dispatched to Earth to watch over humans. They soon begin to lust for human women and, encouraged by their leader, Samyaza, defect from El en masse. Thereafter, they instruct humanity with forbidden knowledge – and even procreate with them. The offspring of these unions are the Nephilim, hybrid giants who pillage the Earth and endanger humanity. So far, very similar to the Genesis account, but then we get some additional details. Samyaza and the Watchers, we are told, teach humans the arts and technologies, such as weaponry, cosmetics, mirrors sorcery and other techniques that would otherwise have been discovered gradually over time these discoveries are only vaguely glossed over in genesis chapter 4 and not attributed to the angels as bestowers of this knowledge but it's there in the book of enoch eventually according to enoch the chief god allows a great flood to rid the earth of the Nephilim, but first sends Uriel, an archangel, to warn Noah so as not to eradicate the human race entirely. Henceforth, the defecting watchers are bound in the valleys of the earth until judgment day. This reminds us of Jude's letter, which tells us, And the angels, who did not keep their positions of authority but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. Again, where was the writer of Jude getting this information, if not the book of Enoch? The book of Enoch even lists the names of the Elohim. First, we have Samyaza, the leader, who appears synonymous with the Bible's Satan character, although I question the presence of a personal Satan in the Old Testament. And then we have 20 watchers under his charge, known as the Chiefs of Tens. I shall leave a list of these 20 in the transcript for this podcast. But notice how nearly all of these watchers' names incorporate the term el in them ramel Asael, and my namesake daniel not surprising i guess for benai elohim sons of el we are even told that the fallen angels who married and procreated with human women numbered 200 now assuming the book of enoch and even books of the Bible, such as Job, are accurate in their claims that angels or Elohim were around during the physical creation. We run into a contradiction in the Bible because Isaiah 44, verse 24, suggests that God was alone when he created the heavens and the earth. There it reads, I stretched out the heavens by myself and i spread out the earth who was with me this is at odds with the idea that angels pre-existed the creation of the earth and it certainly doesn't fit with jehovah's witnesses teaching of a pre-human jesus acting as god's master worker the wisdom personified of proverbs chapter 8 Interestingly, Watchtower makes no attempts to explain Isaiah 44 verse 24 in its vast array of publications. Even the book Isaiah's Prophecy, Light for All Mankind, Volume 2, a verse-by-verse commentary on Isaiah, glosses over this claim that God was by himself when he created the heavens and the earth. So which is it? Was God alone during the creation as Isaiah clearly states or was Jesus with him and if so were they accompanied by billions of angels or benai elohim as job indicates that's the heavenly picture Jehovah's witnesses paint for their readers which ironically is much closer to the heavenly council presented in the book of Enoch but the bible redacted as it has been is less than clear. Sometimes it presents a heaven consisting of a large assembly of angels or sons of God, the Elohim. Other times it seems to be trying to force the idea of a Yahweh only heaven, at least at the time of creation. Obviously there's been a lot of retelling going on with stories being pulled from multiple conflicting sources and being rebranded into what we now know as the Old Testament. But the only thing clear about the Bible narrative is it's not clear. It's messy, it's contradictory, it seems to be hiding things from plain view, using language as an invisibility cloak. So who is this us Genesis refers to? Jesus? Angels? Both? Something altogether different? In the original telling of Genesis 1 verse 26, no doubt handed down verbally through the generations, I think it was referring to angels, the Elohim as a group, Benai Elohim, sons of God, the watchers of Daniel and Enoch. But chapter 2, which introduces Yahweh into the text, obscures the plurality of the Elohim and instead makes us think of a singular God. Isaiah 44 verse 24 then attempts to shore up the Yahweh-only story told in Genesis chapter 2, but fails to address the us of chapter 1 verse 26. Jehovah's Witnesses and others Then complicate things further by taking the word of John 1 verse 1 to be a pre-human Jesus and then seeking to force him into the Old Testament narrative by inferring that the Logos is synonymous with wisdom of Proverbs chapter 8. Let's take a closer look at Proverbs 8 for a moment. Who is this master worker that was supposedly with God in the beginning? Is it the same as the Logos of John chapter 1? Wisdom and Logos or logic appear to be related and I believe they are. But are these references to Jesus in a pre-human form? Well, The first clue that Proverbs 8 is not talking about a second person, and certainly not a second God, is in the first few verses. There, wisdom is identified as a she. For example, the NIV reads, Does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice? At the highest point along the way where the paths meet, She takes her stand. Beside the gate leading into the city, at the entrance, she cries aloud. But now read that same verse in the New World Translation, and the fact wisdom is female is obscured thus Is not wisdom calling out? Is not discernment raising its voice? On the heights along the road, it takes its position at the crossroads. Next to the gates leading into the city, at the entrance of the doorways, it keeps crying out loudly. Despite arguing that wisdom personified is the pre-human Jesus and the same as the word of John 1 verse 1, the New World Translation goes to great lengths here to de-personify it relegating wisdom from a she to an it my guess is that referring to wisdom as she and then applying her to jesus would raise too many questions for the genuine bible student the thing is if you do the research it leads you down a path which gives a whole new meaning to the wisdom of proverbs and even the word of john 1 verse 1 Without going too deep into it in this podcast, I would highly recommend that you read a book entitled The Only God, A Study of Biblical Monotheism by Eric H.H. H. Chang. You'll find a link to it at onionunlimited.com slash books. The Only God is a brilliantly written book by a once Trinitarian who did the research and found an alternative explanation for John 1 verse 1, one that advocates neither the Trinity nor Jehovah's Witnesses' peculiar A God translation. Chang explains that the writers of the Old Testament recognized wisdom to be an aspect of God's personality. On page 207, Chang links wisdom to the word of John 1 verse 1, stating, Trinitarians, and I would add Jehovah's Witnesses, are so anxious to prove their doctrine from Scripture that they do not hesitate to ignore that wisdom is feminine. He continues, Once we adhere to the fact that what we have in Proverbs is metaphor, then no scriptural contradiction with Isaiah exists. If wisdom is not a person, then there is no problem whatsoever to say that Yahweh employed wisdom in accomplishing his creative work, any more than saying that a man building a house employed his knowledge, or could we say logic, in building it. If the man says that he employed his knowledge to guide him through every step of the building process, no one in his right mind will assume that he is speaking literally of a person called knowledge who guided him in his work. This makes so much sense to me. The wisdom of Proverbs 8 is not a person. It's not Jesus in a pre-human form it's exactly what it says on the tin god's wisdom it's only when you have an agenda namely to support the existence of either a triune god or a god with a small g that you have to revert to the mental gymnastics that trinitarians and jehovah's witnesses employ shame on both groups i say Chang goes on to introduce another word used by the Jews in the Old Testament, namely memra. This basically equates to the Greek word logos that appears not just in John chapter one, but in Greek philosophy in general. Again, logos is not to be understood as a personal being or a third person of a Trinity and certainly not as a God. It is like wisdom, an aspect of the one God. Chang notes the word as a person distinct from Yahweh simply did not exist anywhere in scripture. When the gospel of John was written Jews believed in one God Yahweh employing logos logic or wisdom in his creative acts and this had apparently been the official line at least since the redactions of the 4th century BCE. Thus, the Old Testament does not support the idea of a pre-human Jesus accompanying God in his creation of the universe. True, the New Testament contains verses that may seem to allude to this, such as Colossians 1 verses 15 and 16, but a closer examination of these verses shows them to be poorly translated by Trinitarians and Jehovah's Witnesses alike. When referring to Christ as the firstborn of all creation, it's not referring to an order of time, but to the preeminence of Jesus, who had been given the name above all names much as king david was called the firstborn on account of his elevated status despite the fact that he was the youngest of jesse's sons as an aside jehovah's witnesses meddle with the text of philippians 2 verse 9 by adding the word other which doesn't appear in the original text they also meddle with colossians 1 verse 16 which refers to all Brackets, other things being created by means of him. Not especially unique, the King James Version also translates in auto as by him, but a more fitting translation would be in him, which suspiciously is exactly how in auto is translated a few verses later in verse 19. A comparison of Colossians 1.16 with Ephesians two verse ten further helps us to see that the creation being referred to in Colossians is not the physical heavens and earth. In Ephesians, we read, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This creation is what the apostle elsewhere refers to as the new creation, God's plan of salvation in Christ. This indeed can be thought of as a cosmic event, even as Colossians 1, 19 and 20 goes on to explain, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, in Christ, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven. What's more, the Logos of God in John 1 verse 1 can be thought of as God's same plan of salvation, the thought-out logical purpose of God that manifested itself in the form of human flesh, that of Jesus Christ such did not require jesus to be pre-existent only chosen by god as king david was anointed and appointed to the position of firstborn of all creation the pre-eminent one over all god's creative works thus the new testament lends no real support for a yahweh accompanied by another god And why would it? That's not what the Jews, of which the first Christian groups were comprised of, believed. Despite their early polytheistic beliefs, they had for at least 400 years been strictly monotheistic on account of their redacted scripture texts, even though these same texts still hinted at something more below the surface. A close friend of mine who exited Jehovah's Witnesses before me suggested to me years ago that there was no pre-human Jesus and that references to wisdom and the word in scripture were merely references to God's mind, his plan for salvation in Christ, his logic, if you will. At the time, I rejected the idea vehemently, but the idea sat with me My friend was an intelligent person who had obviously done his research. It wasn't until I followed suit and found Chang's The Only God that everything slotted into place for me. I really can't do the book justice in this podcast, so I recommend you get a copy and read it for yourself. So what do we have when all is said and done? We have, according to Genesis chapter 1 a heaven and earth created by the Elohim, gods, plural, sons of the chief god El, benai Elohim, angels, watchers, morning stars. We have the early Bronze Age Israelites worshipping El and Yahweh as two distinct gods, singled out from a Canaanite pantheon of many Elohim, Yahweh being just one of El's many sons, We have a 4th century attempt by Jewish scribes to rework the ancient stories into a Yahweh-only monotheistic religion, a rebrand, if you will, a clean-up attempt which failed to completely eliminate the earlier polytheistic beliefs from the texts, resulting in confusion when anything more than a cursory glance is given to the texts. We have a mishmash of Old Testament texts that contain contradictions, conflicting accounts of creation by many Elohim, or one Yahweh, and only half the picture. For the bigger picture, we need to elicit non-canonical texts, such as the Book of Enoch, And finally, we have a conflated New and Old Testament Bible that has been interpreted by Trinitarians and Jehovah's Witnesses alike to sell us a pre-human Jesus, either as God's wisdom or word, but that on closer examination does no such thing. There was no pre-human Jesus. Removing this error from our religious doctrine changes little, if anything, in respect of the gospel. The word, wisdom, memra, was merely an aspect of God's mind, his logic employed in his acts of creation, whether physical or spiritual. And so I am left wondering, was there one God or many? I think many. Who was Yahweh? I think probably one of the sons of the chief god El. And what happened to the Elohim? where are they now who knows maybe they were assigned to some cosmic jail as Enoch and Jude suggest maybe they died thousands of years ago and only the stories remain or maybe just maybe they got bored with their creation and disappeared from whence they came could it be they are still out there somewhere just not taking an active interest in humanity For further reading, I would recommend you read Escaping from Eden by Paul Wallace. In its opening chapter, Wallace addresses a number of the points I've highlighted today. He calls them anomalies and goes on to link the Genesis account to not only the Book of Enoch, but also the Epic of Gilgamesh. It's an interesting rabbit hole to fall down, in which he even asks the reader to consider whether the Elohim were in fact, extraterrestrials. Crazy as it may sound at first, Wallace goes on to make a convincing argument, one I will be investigating further in future podcasts. But for now, by way of summary, I will just read from a conversation I've had just today with my friend mentioned earlier. These are my words to him as follows. I'm coming to similar conclusions to you. I agree with you that the Elohim in Genesis chapter 1 are gods, plural. This could well represent the reality of the situation, namely that a council of gods, godlike ones, sons of El, extraterrestrials even, (laughs) created the heavens and the earth. Whether that actually happened is open to debate, but I think that's what Genesis 1 is telling us. But then Genesis 2, conflated with chapter 1 by post-exilic redactors circa 400 BCE, seems to take advantage of Elohim being both singular and plural, like the English word sheep. The first occurrence of Yahweh in chapter 2 really jars. It smacks of someone trying to change gods into god further digging into old testament texts convinces me there was a pantheon of gods elohim and that el or Elion, was the zeus of them all the chief god with a number of sons benai elohim and the book of enoch which provides much more information as to what was going on in the heavenly council seems to me to have been purposely dropped from the bible canon The redactors, I think, have done their best to cobble together existing verbal stories and texts into one coherent monotheistic account, but they didn't do a great job. If you look hard enough, there are still very clear indications of a pantheon of gods operating together, competing with each other, falling out and warring with each other and ultimately giving up on humanity. Maybe they died, maybe they moved on, maybe they're in some cosmic jail somewhere. But the idea of there being just one God, at least according to the texts, behind the texts, seems to me to be flawed. And finally, I think Jesus was highlighting this. He doesn't seem to have been a fan of Yahweh. He seems to be encouraging his followers to return to source, or at least El Elyon. I'm not sure if any of this makes sense, but I'm slowly piecing it together. The only thing that is clear to me is that the Bible isn't clear. We have to look elsewhere to fill in the gaps that the redactors created by ripping out wholesale sections that didn't support their new monotheistic beliefs. That's all for this time. Thanks for listening. Join me again soon. Bye for now.